The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, and here's your top five at five. Tech stocks take a tumble as investors brace for an onslaught of earnings. Names like Apple, Amazon, Snap, Meta, and more. And it could be a key moment for stocks. Say, Kramer thinks so. One market watcher says we're about to kick off a bullish trifecta, but noted short seller Jim Chanos... He may just disagree. Jay Powell and the Fed kicking off their first policy meeting of the year, and everybody wants to know, are the rate hikes finally over? Oil back below 80 a barrel. Malima Croft is here to tell you why. But first, 54 years later, Boeing bidding farewell to one of its most iconic planes. It is Tuesday, final day of January, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome, as always, from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good to be back with you on this Tuesday morning. Let's jump right in. Stocks coming off a big drop to begin the week, and futures are indeed, they are lower once again. Dow futures off just about 100, NASDAQ futures off 55, so they weren't down much. They've kind of accelerated, but fair value is still slightly in the green. So, again, not real sure which way the market's going to go today, but Dow futures are indeed down. Now, this comes off a 2.5% or rather 2% drop for the NASDAQ 100 and a nearly 1.5% haircut for the S&P 500. Only 12 NASDAQ 100 stocks rose yesterday and the market breadth by far was the worst of the year. But as always, context is key. And remember that we are still well higher on the year. And keep in mind, it's actually been the best January for the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 in four years. How about that? Well, bond yields, they rose on Monday. They're back above 3.5%. Right now, we're seeing it about 3.53%. The Fed kicking off another meeting. They could raise rates when they make that call again tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Oil, it has come down in recent days. Right now, the price of oil is still back below 80 bucks a barrel. It's at the 76.61 here, 83.74 overseas. But remember, OPEC, it's not just the Fed. OPEC, meets virtually tomorrow. Now, we will see if they change their output quotas. Doubt they will, but you never know. It is OPEC and OPEC+. Plus. But in energy, the bigger story now may be the continued drop in the price of natural gas. It continues to go down, getting close to breaking below two and a half bucks. There was some headlines, by the way. Just quickly, I want to note this. Today, Russia reduced flows in the final remaining natural gas pipeline to Europe. You're saying, well, Brian, I thought the Nord Stream was blown up. It is. This is a separate pipeline that has been operating through Ukraine the entire time. And Russia today reduced flows by 30%. The last remaining gas pipeline coming into Europe comes in through the south, flows down 30%. Keep this in mind. Also, it's been one of the warmest winters in history. The weather is about to turn cold. So there's a lot going on right now still with natural gas. All right, let's move on to crypto. By the way, Bitcoin, it's up 38% this year. It's been one of the best starts to a year in the recent memory of Bitcoin. I don't mean when it was like a nickel 
and went to a dime. Bitcoin's up again. Is at 22,874. Crypto has remained red hot so far in 2023. All right, well, that is how things are shaping up here. Let's get a check down the overseas action and some breaking news out of the European Union. Arabili Gumeri is standing by in our London newsroom. Arabili, good morning. What's going on? Yeah, Brian, thank you so much for it. Good morning. It's certainly some uh, breaking news coming out. Eurozone GDP number is going to be very critical then to the European Central Bank's uh, uh, in interest rate meeting, which of course is on Thursday. And what happens there when it comes to those interest rate hikes is that 25 basis point what we're expecting. Well, the GDP estimate does come out then fresh off the bat now. 0.1% quarter on quarter is the number to have come out. It is better than the consensus, which was for a drop of the same number. 0.1% decline was the consensus then, uh, is what we were expecting to see on a quarter-on-quarter basis. Year-on-year, 1.9% positive growth number then for the Eurozone. Uh, The consensus was for a positive 1.8, so growth of 1.8% year-on-year. So we are seeing a slightly better picture, perhaps avoiding a recession, even if it is just on the marginal front then. And we are seeing that downturn, yes, still continue weak levels across the board, but certainly still better off than we initially expected. That headline figure then, uh, 0.1% growth for the fourth quarter in the Eurozone versus the consensus of a drop of 0.1%. Well, speaking of growth rates, we even had the IMF come out with theirs. They've raised their outlook for global growth for the first time in a year. The fund now sees growth of 2.9% for 2023. That's up from its October projection of 2.7%. Now, the revised number is still below the expansion of 3.4%, which was seen last year. The IMF saying that China's reopening, the easing energy costs, as well as the, quote, surprisingly resilient demand in the U.S. and Europe will all help fuel growth this year. But they have warned that these higher interest rates we're seeing, as well as the war in Ukraine, would also weigh on global activity. We also had some banking news coming out today. Unicredit reporting a 23% rise in net profit for the fourth quarter, beating expectations. However, the Swiss lender warning of an uncertain year ahead as rising inflation as well as high interest rates increase uncertainty. That's the story then coming out, of course, with the likes of UBS as well, putting out their numbers on earnings. Um, I am, of course, trying to follow up on all those stories then for you. Brian. Arbili Gumeri, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Just like that, the IMF raised those growth forecasts. Amazing. You can just do that. You're wrong. You don't like your forecast? Just change it. There you go. All right, let's get now some of this morning's top corporate stories, including the likely filing of bankruptcy by one big retailer, Pippa Stevens, in this morning with that and more. Pippa, good morning. Good morning, Brian. The Biden administration has stopped approving licenses for U.S. companies to export most of their products to Chinese telecom giant Huawei. According to multiple reports, the move is one step closer by the White House on a total export ban to the company, which U.S. security officials believe participates in espionage, a claim Huawei has denied. The Commerce Department is still allowing companies like Intel and Qualcomm to provide tech to Huawei that is not related to high-speed 5G wireless. Meantime, Bed Bath & Beyond is reportedly preparing to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection as soon as this week. According to Reuters, the timing is still in flux, but the retailer has lined up liquidators to close additional stores should a last-minute buyer fail to emerge. And former President Trump is suing journalist Bob Woodward and Simon & Schuster parent company Paramount Global, seeking $50 million. 
Trump claims he never agreed to allow audio of Woodward's taped interviews with him to be released. The suit's $50 million figure is based on an estimate that the audiobook, the Trump tapes, sold more than 2 million copies at between $24 and $99 a piece. Brian? It's like lawsuits as a sport. Pippa Stevens, thank you very much. All right, well, folks, here's a little nugget to get your day going. Even with yesterday's drops, it is the best January for most indexes since 2019. The recent rally potentially offering some good news for bulls and maybe a little more if history is any guide. Get this. Carson Group's Ryan Dietrich notes that when the S&P 500 is up during the so-called Santa Claus rally of December, when it is up the first five days of the year and up the entire month of January, which it will be unless we have some kind of disaster today, the full year historically does well. In fact, Dietrich notes that when those three things happen, the S&P 500 has risen the full year 90% of the time with an average gain of 17.5% for the year. Dietrich calls that the bullish trifecta. Now, of course, that's just history, and every year is different. But hey, history is a little bit on our side. Let's talk more now about this with Gene Goldman. He is the CIO of Satera. And Gene, I'm sure you're not going to use that nugget with your clients. I know it's just history and past performance, as they say, is no guarantee of future results. But I guess if you had to pick a start to the year, there are worse ones to have. Definitely. First of all, Brian, thank you for having me on your show. And Ryan Dietrich, big fan of Ryan. But I got to take a step back and say, listen, we can't be too bullish. You know, I think we've seen too much of a rally in January. You know, last year, stock struggled. We saw, you know, multi-asset classes do poorly. January was sort of a bounce back. If you look at the markets right now, why we shouldn't be too bullish? Three things. Number one, valuations are a little too high relative to current interest rate levels and valuation levels. Yes, the P.E. ratio in the S&P 500 is down compared to where it was a year ago, but it's not really reflective of where we are with rates and inflation. Second of all, stocks continue to struggle above the 200-day moving average for a sustained period. That 200-day moving average is at 39.55 for the S&P 500. It's struggling to stay above that. And the third thing, and this is the biggie, recession and earnings worries still need to be reflected in stocks. You know, for example, the Gallup poll a few weeks ago said 79% of Americans, 79% of us believe a recession is coming. And the data is there. Inverted yield curves, PMIs, retail yeah. sales, manufacturing, all that stuff. It's still not reflected. And then earnings. Earnings still need to be revised. I'd guess another 5 or 10% based on high wages, tailwinds, you know, moving back, reversing, and profit margins falling. We're a little concerned near term. I think that was the point that Jim Chanos made on Fast Money last night. By the way, great interview by those guys. And it, 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 Chanos is not a market timer. He does more individual names. But he did note, Gene, that valuations, given where interest rates are and earnings growth rates or even earnings declination rates, the valuation of the market is still just under 18, which is historically high. And, you know, Jim being Jim, he was talking about like 2,900 on the S&P 500. Are, are you worried about valuations relative to rates and earnings? Yeah. So when you look at investing, as you know, you have to look at three things, technicals. 
valuations and fundamentals. Valuations are a little pricey, but fundamentals, you know, are okay. They're not great, but they're okay. So fundamentals, you have the Fed. The Fed is sort of at that point where they're starting to re- maybe pivoting, maybe pausing later this year. We'll get more news tomorrow. We get a lot of economic data coming out this week. It will help to dictate where the market's going. But from a valuation standpoint, we're watching valuations carefully, but it's just one leg in the old investment stool. So what would be the the I guess the bear case for the for the rest of the year? Let's say a lot of people are predicting you know, have a good year. I don't think anybody predicted this start to the year, Gene. Then you kind of maybe make a trough, maybe even test new lows in the summer before ending a little bit higher toward the end of the year. That seems to be if there is a consensus, that's it. So what would be sort of the the bear case in the nearer term and the more bull case in the longer term? And by that I mean, you know, like eleven months. <laughs> long term. I love long term 11 months. That's great. Yeah. But, you know, you it's, know, so, it's, it's the world we live in, Gene. It's the world we live in. Exactly. No, for us, you know, I, I you know, we don't see the stocks going back to, to the, you know, the October levels. We do see a near term support level around 3,800. Stocks can keep bouncing off that 3,800 level for the S&P 500. So that's sort of the our potential worst case scenario. Overall, though, if you take a step back, how do we see the market playing out through the rest of 2023? First half of the year, as we've told our advisors and clients, first half will be a little bit tough. Uncertainty around the Fed, uncertainty around earnings, valuations, as I mentioned earlier. But then the second half of the year, we do get lowered expectations as we hit a potential mild recession. We also have the fact that you know, if we have a recession, it could be mild, which is great for stocks as a priced in sort of a more aggressive recession. And third of all, we do believe that the Fed is actually working. I mean, I know a lot of people are a little surprised, but the Fed has done a great job to sort of bring down inflation. Yes, they're being helped by disinflationary effects. So at the end of the day, we do believe first half of the year, volatile, choppy, some, some concerns. Second half of the mm-hmm. year should be a lot, lot better. All right, Gene Goldman with the uh, quote unquote longer term. I'm doing the air quotes if you can't see, Gene. <laughs> Longer term view, which now is apparently 11 months. But, Gene, we appreciate the views and the insight. By the way, excellent choice of Thai color this morning, my friend. Excellent choice. All right. When we come back, RBC Capital Markets, Lee McCroft is here. Oil making a move off 80 bucks a barrel. Why she says the demand story out of China is far from over. Plus, speaking of the Fed, former Fed Governor Roger Ferguson will check back in. We'll get his take on whether borrowing costs will keep going up. And I'll ask him how higher interest rates may serve as a a hidden tax, especially on working class families. That is ahead. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back. Well, everybody seems to be focused on the Federal Reserve interest rate call tomorrow, as they should. But there is another meeting to pay attention to. That is OPEC. The group will meet again virtually. And the big question is whether OPEC will keep its current output plan, which was cut, at least on paper, by 2 million barrels per day last fall. Remember that. All this comes at a time when China demand is starting to pop, and markets are also watching two other major events. Number one, a European ban on Russian refined products. That goes in in a couple of days, February 5th. And more nerves around Iran as drone strikes hit that nation. Let's kind of tie it all together in a way that only one person can he said, that is Halima Croft, head of global commodity strategy at RBC Capital Markets, CNBC contributor. And I was trying, it's 5.15 in the morning, I was trying to ad-lib something like, where in the world is Halima Croft? And then I screwed it up. You're in Florence. Every time we see you, you're like, you're in Florence, Italy, but it's a big, it's an oil meeting, the Baker Hughes annual meeting. I don't know if it's started yet, Halima. What's kind of the mood? You've talked to people. What are they saying about, about oil this year so far? I mean, we're in day two of the Baker Hughes annual meeting, first time back in person in three years. And the big focus is how do you basically fulfill the energy trilemma of dealing with energy security, sustainability and affordability? Big discussions about need for further investment to have the supplies of hydrocarbons that we will need during this transition period. And a lot of discussion around natural gas. And it's not just the transition. It is the destination. So a lot of optimism here about the demand for hydrocarbons going forward in the period of accelerating energy transition moves by governments. Okay, there we go. There's the macro. Let's talk about it tomorrow. What do you expect from OPEC and OPEC Plus? Any change at all? I mean, this is the Joint Ministerial Monitoring Committee meeting. It is not the full ministerial that is coming in June. But the expectation is that they will stay the course on this 2 million barrel a day production cut, this paper cut. Now, there had been a call between the Russian leader and the Saudi leader this week, but there is no expectation yet that we're going to see any major shift in this OPEC policy. But one thing I think we should pay attention to is if fears about rate hikes and resilient Russian production continue to weigh on markets, OPEC can come back into the market before June. They basically say we are standing ready to put in a floor if necessary. Yeah, that, that is uh, a key point that His Royal Highness Abdulaziz bin Salman has made, I think, to you and to me, yes. which is that, yeah, we can... We may not be formally meeting in person again until June, but we reserve the right to basically change our mind at any time, as they might. A lot of that is going to go with China. Halima, I was showing stats last week that air travel is back to something like 90%. How does the China demand story, how is it playing out and how might it play out? I mean, Brian, we are absolutely seeing increases in mobility in China. As you mentioned, people are getting on planes or getting in their cars or getting on the subway. But one thing that was very interesting when I was in the region earlier this month in the Middle East is that you had key officials in the energy sector of these major producing countries say, we're not prepared to say yet that we are completely out of the woods. We're watching what happens with Chinese New Year, potential rise in COVID cases. They're concerned about Fed rate hikes on the back of a rise in energy prices. So what you're 
hearing from the key Middle Eastern energy officials is they are cautiously optimistic about China, but they're not prepared yet to add back more barrels until they have clear indications that this reopening is built to last. Yeah, and then lastly, this, this Iran situation, you've got drone strikes. I mean, there always seems to be something going on with Iran. Uh, is the market underpricing this, or is it just something yeah. kind of to keep and tuck away in the back of our minds? I think this is the biggest wildcard story for the oil market this year. Bibi Netanyahu is back. Some would say he is the most moderate official in this Israeli government. He has promised to put confronting Iran at the top of the policy agenda. And, Brian, Iran is now a threshold nuclear state. The IAEA was out saying they have enough fissile material for several bombs. So I think this is the key story to watch, how Israel acts to contain Iran's nuclear ambitions. Ali McCroft, Baker Hughes, annual meeting in Florence, Italy. People wonder why. Well, Lorenzo Simonetti, the CEO, he's from Florence, Italy. Ali McCroft, thank you very much. Appreciate it. See that is a meeting that I would not turn down. That is not a meeting I would not go to. All right, on deck. Your morning's big money movers, including collateral damage from the first salvo in what could be an electric car price war. Plus, another day, another state legalizing sports betting and the top most wished for Airbnb hotspots, plus a return to office milestone. Of sorts, those are your trending stories. They're up when Wex returns. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back. Time now for some of your big money movers on this Tuesday morning. First up, checking in on shares of the electric vehicle maker. So it's not just one stock, it's a group. This after Ford followed Tesla and it cutting prices on its Mustang Mach-E electric car. Now, Tesla's down a little bit today after falling 6% Monday. Ford, GM, and Rivian, eh, maybe ticking a little bit higher, but they all fell yesterday. Rivian down 9%. You got GM reporting earnings this morning. There is concern that Tesla's move, followed by Ford, could set off a larger industry-wide price battle for electric cars. Also happening now, NXP's fourth quarter earnings beat forecasts on strong sales of automotive chips, and the company hiked its dividend by 20%. However, shares are lower as guidance for the quarter is below analyst estimates. Whirlpool posting a fourth quarter loss after selling its European business. Adjusted earnings beat forecasts, but sales dropped 15%, with the appliance maker citing softening demand and significant supply chain problems. That issue has been resolved, but... Now, Whirlpool couldn't make enough products to meet the demand. It's always something. And Paramount plans to merge its Paramount Plus streaming service with Showtime. The move, but which has been rumored forever, will take effect later on this year. It is aimed at making Paramount Plus more comparable to rival HBO Max, which is merging with Discovery Plus. Can you follow all that? Like right now on your phone or your Apple TV or your Roku, whatever it is, you have like 100 different streaming apps they're starting to merge to kind of look like cable TV. There you go. 
All right, still ahead, 54 years later, Boeing bidding farewell to one of its most iconic planes. And a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss the show any day, don't swat it. Just listen to the podcast. It's available on all the major platforms. Stick around. Your money hoping to put a bow on what has been one of the best starts to a year in years. But this year, it's been all about last year. And now 2022's market villains are suddenly the new heroes. Will the Fed kick off the year with another rate hike? Former Vice Chair Roger Ferguson lays out Powell's likely next move. And what can Brown do for you? And sentiment, UPS results due out in 30 minutes. And that could be a big tell on the economy. This Tuesday, January 31st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome, well, welcome back, everybody, and good Tuesday morning. Thanks for joining us. Let's jump right into your money, coming off a big drop for stocks to begin the week. NASDAQ 100 had a 2% drop on Monday. The S&P 500 falling nearly 1.5%. Only 12 NASDAQ 100 stocks rose on Monday. Right now, futures are indicating maybe a little follow-through on the selling side. We are seeing NASDAQ futures down 64, Dow futures off about 95. Now, overall, again, context, one day doth not a trend make. It has been a good start to the year. But can it last? Well, maybe not. All right, Truist, Kent Keith Lerner, notes that it's been a fairly low-quality rally to start the year. All right, what do we mean by that? Well, listen to this stat from Lerner, which is kind of like maybe a mini RBI today. The 50 worst-performing stocks of last year came into Monday with an average gain of 20.1%, while last year's 50 best-performing stocks are only up 1.9%. What does all these numbers mean? Well, it means we have seen a sharp rotation from what people are buying out of the things that worked and into kind of the names that got crushed last year. Interesting. All this, even as Bank of America notes that fourth quarter earnings that we have seen so far are tracking for a 1% miss and guidance remains weak going forward. All while valuations for the S&P 500 are still almost 18 times forward earnings, which is still on the high end of history. A lot of numbers there. Bottom line, valuations are high, rates are on the rise, and the stocks that have led this year were the worst performers last year. I guess it's random but interesting. All right, now, some key headlines happening this morning, including some accusations of a violation of child labor laws by Apple and how we might hear which big money mystery donors helped Sam Bankman-Fried pay that massive bail bond. Pippa Stevens is back with those. Pippa. Hey, Brian. Well, let's start here with Apple. Executives are being accused of violating labor laws after making remarks and setting rules that curbed employees' efforts to address workplace issues and labor rights. This according to a new report from the National Labor Relations Board. This comes after the NLRB announced last month it had evidence that Apple used anti-union tactics to stop unionization efforts by employees. And a judge ruling the names of the two people who helped guarantee bail for FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried should be made public. The judge arguing that the public had only a, a weak right to know who Bankman-Fried's sponsors were, but that it outweighed his arguments for confidentiality. But the judge has put his ruling on hold pending an expected appeal. And the Biden administration formally announcing new funding for major transportation projects funded by the infrastructure law. Among the projects, a nearly $300 million grant to help complete an early phase of the long-delayed Hudson Tunnel 
improving travel between New York and New Jersey. The president will tout the money during a visit to New York City later today. Brian, that tunnel could use some work. (laughs) If you go through that tunnel in a glass-topped car, which they have, there's one train that's got a glass top so you can look up, and I don't want to scare anybody. A lot of people may be listening on the radio, whatever, commuting. You can see water dripping through the top of the tunnel. I mean, think about this, Pippa. The newest crossing of the Hudson, the youngest crossing from New Jersey to New York is the George Washington Bridge, which was finished, I believe, in 1937. That's the youngest. Yeah. Yeah, it puts it all in perspective. (laughs) That's it. It's old. Back then, like coal-powered trains going through that tunnel. It's good to see. And remember, this is taxpayer money. It's our money. So it's good to see. Pippa, thank you. All right, back now to your top story. The Federal Reserve kicking off its first policy meeting decision of the year. And after seven straight rate hikes last year, including four three-quarters of 1% rate hikes, investors are expecting the committee to continue easing a bit off that accelerator. Now, of course, the decision comes out tomorrow and is just the first in a trifecta of central bank decisions due out this week. That includes us, the European Central Bank, and the Bank of England. Joining us now is former Federal Reserve Vice Chair and Fed Board Governor member Roger Ferguson, also a CNBC contributor. Always love your insight, Roger. Welcome back and good morning. What are you expecting from the Federal Reserve tomorrow? Not just the announcement, but maybe what we hear at the press conference. Uh, Expecting a few things. One is a 25 basis point tightening. Two, to your point on the press conference, I'm expecting them to observe that inflation seems to be slowing, but still far away from their 2% target, setting themselves up for at least one, if not two more moves uh, this year. I think they want to make sure that people understand they're still vigilant. They're not ready to to pause and certainly not ready to pivot. Uh, But I think they would be wise uh, to recognize that there has been some improvement and the final thing I, the point they'll make, I think, is there's been you know, quite a bit of movement, quite a bit of tightening in the system, and they want to wait to see a bit how that works. But you think it's possible we get, what, like a half a percent tomorrow and then a quarter percent in, I think it's March? Or how would it, how would it look to you, Roger? I think it's more likely to be 25 uh, basis points tomorrow, which is a, a quarter of a percent, the same again uh, in March and possibly the same in May. Uh, And that's a slight step down because um, the tone that I've heard from the various uh, policymakers that have spoken thus far seems to be one of recognizing quite a bit of tightening has already happened, and it's okay to slow it down just a bit uh, to take take a read on how much impact they've had on the economy. And I think they'll have to recognize that some of the data coming in has shown that, in fact, inflation seems to be peaking at least for goods, um, not yet services. And so I think they are capable of saying just 25 basis points this time, but more to come. Why not? Yeah, see, I guess this is the question people have, Roger. It's like, okay, let's say they do 25 and 25, that equals 50, I think, a half a percent. Why not just do 50 now? Why, why kind of this, why they, do you think done this, the pattern, if we could put the wall graphic back up where we show how they've kind of just done it in, you know, over time. Why, take us inside the, the intellectual mechanism for why they have to do it like that. Okay, so the mechanism is, is as follows. First, every cycle is different. This time, as we know, uh, they may have been a little wrong about the nature of inflation, so they started late. 
that forced them to move relatively quickly. Um, and there are moments when they had to talk in a very hawkish tone. I think of the, the, the Jackson Hole speech. Now they've gotten to the place where uh, interest rates are and what they think of as restrictive territory, which was their official, their first goal, get to a restrictive territory as soon as possible, get ahead of this train of inflation. They've now, it feels as though they've done that. So at this stage, I think they step down a little bit because they want to be able to do two things. One is not surprise the market. So the market is built in, you know, 25 basis points. They have not made any effort to correct that. So there's no reason to surprise the market. But at the same time, they want to be prepared to keep moving uh, because they aren't really sure that the inflation uh, genie is back in the bottle. And so that's why you get this, uh, this gradual move, relatively gradual move. And by the way, let's put this into historic context. Normally, rate moves have been 25 basis points. Seeing these 50 basis points and higher moves is ahistoric, unusual. And so they're just returning to the normal historic pattern. So that is, I think, why you're seeing this highly unusual pattern now return to something more normal. Uh, but front-loading 50 at this stage, when the market is expecting more like 25, I think would be uh, unwise. Yeah. You know, and I want to talk about something else, Roger, if I can. It's a little off-topic, I guess. Um, you know, we talk a lot about inflation coming down, and I get it. We've seen the price of used cars come down a little bit. You know, there have been some movements in the data. And I get that. And so politicians are going to kind of crow about that. But what I worry about is the inflationary effect of higher rates. Higher rates will bring down headline inflation, but they also increased borrowing costs, particularly for those who have to borrow money. I heard somebody describe higher interest rates as a wealth transfer tax from the poor to the rich, to those who borrow money from those who lend the money, the banks, if you will. So how much will higher rates have an impact on, on lower income people in the United States who don't have the credit or maybe the, the pricing power to combat some of these forces? Well, you have to recognize that there are two kinds of challenges that the Fed faces. Uh, and one is the inflation challenge. And so inflation is widely regarded as an insidious and not very visible tax uh, on every individual, including particularly, you know, poor individuals that you've just talked about. So if you take yourself back to the period of really higher inflation here recently, the main concern has been uh, gasoline prices, the cost of commuting, rent has gone up, has gone up quite dramatically, food prices have gone up. Uh, and so we shouldn't uh, downplay the, uh, the uh, hidden tax of inflation on low and moderate income people. You're absolutely right that higher interest rates also fall on individuals who have to borrow. Yes, high interest rates and a steeper yield curve may make banks more profitable. But recognize that by getting inflation under control, the Fed is also trying to keep an economy going at the what's called maximum sustainable growth, i.e. avoiding stop-start uh, and avoiding a recession if necessary. And so there are benefits to society overall from having these higher interest rates if they drive out mm -hmm. inflation and allow the economy to, to, continue, to continue to grow uh, at its maximum sustainable level. So that's, that's a little bit of the trade-off that they're making here. It is. It is a trade. But I, I do want to make sure we acknowledge, you know, if you're paying 12% on a credit card, now you're paying 20% or your used car loan is, you know, 9% it was 5%. Those are going to be, 
inflationary aspects on, on that type. But uh, we'll save that more for another day and another conversation. Roger Ferguson, always appreciate you getting up early for us. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, coming up, will UPS deliver their numbers out at the top of the hour? And Bank of America's Ken Huckster lays out why he thinks the stock has more room to run. First, some trending stories on CNBC.com right now. Occupant Office occupancy rates in 10 big cities are finally back to 50% on average. That's according to Castle Systems. Among the cities tracked with occupancy holding steady or rising, New York, San Francisco, Austin, and San Jose. Just in time for the Super Bowl, legalized sports betting hitting Massachusetts today. Caesars, MGM, Penn, and Wynn all expected to benefit from the uptick in wagering, though online and mobile betting will not be available until some point in March. You still got to go to the casinos. And Airbnb is out with its 13 most wish-listed properties in the world for the year. The 13 locations span six countries and four continents. They range from that, an elevated cabin in Canada, to a private guest home on a family ranch in Utah, and an $18 million hidden haven in South Africa. Hey, we can dream, right? It's fun. Dow Features down 112. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Let's talk UPS. They're out with their earnings tomorrow. And of course, one company really many sees an overall bellwether for the macro economy. And it's been a good run for the company for earnings anyway. It's beaten on both profit and revenue expectations for 10 straight quarters. Not quite as good on the stock side. Shares down 11% a year, and that's tough, but it looks pretty good compared to FedEx, which has lost a quarter of its value. So let's talk more about this now. Joining us now is Ken Hexter. He is a research analyst at Bank of America Securities. Ken, good to chat with you again. What's going to be key for you in UPS numbers, which are going to be out in about 15 minutes? Yeah, great. Uh, good morning, Brian, and, and thank you for having me. Uh, you're right. You know, key is is they've posted seven consecutive quarters of, of domestic margin improvement. I think that's really what people are going to continue to see. You know, Brian, had, uh, the CFO, had talked about uh, no matter the volumes, and, and volumes obviously a weak peak season uh, given the consumer. Uh, you did have Amazon's Prime Day earlier in October, but given that uh, weakness in the fourth quarter, their ability to cut costs, continue to post margin improvement. That's really what people are going to look for and take away from uh, from this quarter, their ability to continue those cost cuts. Yeah, I, I, I noted how they've been okay. beating guidance for 10 straight quarters, but the stock hasn't responded. How come? You know, it's it's the fear of what's coming on with the consumer. I think uh, when you look into 2023, the key items really are you've got the union negotiations coming up with the Teamsters. They're starting to get a little antagonistic. They've both sides of the, the table uh, from the Teamsters and from uh, Carol uh, Tomei, the CEO, have, have both said we're not going to start early negotiations. In the past couple, they've started early and wrapped it up early. This seems to be a little bit more kind of dragging to the end, and that's in, in July. So investors looking for the fear of what may come around that. And then secondly, you've got the, the Amazon issue, that overhang, which is about uh, was about 12% of their revenues last year, expected to be about less than, uh, less than 11% of, of total revenues in 2022. And that's continuing to fall as Amazon pulls more of their volumes onto the network. So you have those two big issues, the Amazon overhang and the Teamster negotiations upcoming as far as investors looking at the stock into 2023. And those those are two big issues for, for investors to wrap around, despite the improved performance on the domestic margins and a slowing consumer. From an investment perspective, looking at your ratings, it looks it seems like, and please say yes or no if I'm wrong, that you are more bullish on the trains than the trucks. 
Well, actually, we just recently up, upgraded the truckload names because we, we feel like we found okay. a nice base on the performance, right? So we do a survey that shows that uh, the, the shipper sentiment seems to have found a floor. Seems like once you get that floor for, we've now been at this for 40, uh, 42 weeks in terms of our, our survey. And once you build that nice level of, of building a support base, the, the truckload stocks uh, tends to tend to react a little early in the cycle. So yes, on the truckload and rails, which tend to be earliest cycle, we have uh, upgraded and been more a little bit more bullish on uh, lately. Uh, air freight, we tend to be more neutral. Uh, you talked about UPS and, and FedEx coming up. Again, given some of those overhang, given the economic view that we have, uh, that's going to be a, a little bit slower going into, as you just heard from Roger just before, uh, things that need to happen in order to get this uh, moving. So, again, we're, we're looking for that. At least the base building is a good sign where we are economically, and that typically drives the stocks into uh, into the year ahead. Yeah, names like a KNX or a Knight Swift. I think you, you guys recently upgraded part of that group. I was referring more to the UPS side of things, but, yeah, the actual trucking companies, there you go, and the trains as well. Ken, I know you got a big day. Numbers are rolling out. We appreciate you taking some time for us. Thank you. All right, folks, we had to break Samsung sinking and overnight trading. The company reporting its worst profit drop in eight years. Samsung instead announcing it will continue its capital spending program in the coming year, which totaled about $39 billion. Weakness in Samsung shares sending rivals lower. We are back right after this. All right, welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you might have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. Here we go. Bed Bath & Beyond reportedly preparing to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy as soon as this week. That's according to Reuters. Bank, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond also lined up liquidators to close additional stores until unless a last-minute buyer does emerge. The IMF upgrading its outlook for the global economy for the first time in a year, citing China's reopening. Former President Trump is suing journalists Bob Woodward and Simon & Schuster parent company Paramount Global for $50 million. Trump claims he never agreed to allow audio of Woodward's taped interviews with him to be sold to the public. AIG says it has fired its interim chief financial officer Mark Lyons for violations of, quote, confidentiality non-disclosure obligations. The company has named Sabra Patril as his replacement. The Biden administration has stopped approving licenses for U.S. companies to export their products to Huawei. And according to multiple reports, the move is one step closer to a total ban on the sale of U.S. technology to Chinese company. And 54 years later, Boeing is set to deliver its final jumbo 747 jet today. A handoff in Everett, Washington will be to a cargo carrier called Atlas Air. You probably see them at the airports. That's going to be the last 747 ever delivered. What a plane. Hard to believe it was designed and first flown, not to the public, but I think in 1969. Incredible. All right, let's get you ready now for the trading day ahead. On the economic front, you're going to get the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index. I'm going to be watching that one closely. Chicago PMI and consumer confidence numbers as well this morning. Also, obviously, big day of earnings, Caterpillar, Exxon, GM, McDonald's, UPS, among those all reporting. And the Federal Reserve kicking off its first policy meeting of the year with a rate decision slated for 2 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. Let's tie it all together and bring in our next guest here. And that is Rick Pitcairn joining us now uh, as well. He is global strategist or Rick uh, at Pitcairn. Uh, Rick, good to have you back on the program. Hi, Brian. What do you make good of this strong start to the... Hey, 
Yeah, thanks. Listen, I, w- I was pointing out stats earlier in the show how it was been kind of a garbage rally to start the year. I'm sorry to use that term, but low-quality stocks, unprofitable ones, they've been the ones leading the markets. What's your take on this kind of bizarre January we have had? Well, it has been a real strong rally, and it's exactly the kind of stocks that were getting punished last year. We don't really think it has a lot of legs here. We think sentiment got extreme in the fall and and late fall, and we've had this bounce back. But we think it's going to hit the headwinds of Fed policy and tighter money and not really continue through in early 23 like it has for the first month. You know, I was just at a uh, your family office. You focus on high net worth individuals. I was actually just yesterday in Florida speaking at a conference for high net worth individuals. And I I gave a speech and I asked everybody, raise your hand if you're bullish or bearish for the rest of the year. Literally, I think half raised their hand for each. So some really smart people, successful folks couldn't agree on which way the markets are going to go this year. What's your take? What are you telling people about the next 12 to 24 months? Well, you know, it it is a split tape and it's a split investment world right now. We have, you know, a a lot of data points to get through with the Fed. And I think uh, right now it it really still pays a little bit to be more cautious than aggressive. You know, you've got really nice short term money rates. You're getting paid 4.7, 4.8 percent to wait and let some of this data come out. We think that's the smart play rather than try to chase uh, some of the more aggressive sectors of the market that'll really get whacked if the Fed continues to really true to their word and stays more hawkish. Yeah, well, I mean, equity valuations, almost 18 times forward earnings, which in this kind of inflationary rate environment with slowing earnings would historically be at, at the high end. But if you had, Rick, and I tried in my talk to be a little more, say, give the optimistic side, which is liquidity. I feel like liquidity might might be bottoming and and turning around a bit, right. um, people always underestimate the the American consumer and and sort of our strength. If you had to make the bull case, it's, let's be optimistic at five fifty in the morning. What would it be? Well, here's the bull case. You know, markets rarely have two terrible years back to back. We had one of the worst years uh, in recent memory, uh, and you sort of combine that with the fact that you know, as we said earlier, sentiment was you know sentiments actually you know, like at 2008 levels right now, consumer sentiment and business sentiment. So there's a lot of negativity priced into the markets. And we're not in the camp that believes, you know, we got this major step down and and sort of financial disaster ahead of us. We just think it's going to be a tough market. And the kind of go-go growth that worked a couple of years ago is not going to work so well for the next year. You, You actually, that's actually led off my talk yesterday, which I gave a quiz, how many times has the S&P fallen twice in a row? The answer is four times. That's it. So we've fallen four times, two years in a row for 100 years. History may be on our side. Rick Pitcairn, really appreciate it, Rick. Have a great day. Thank you very much. By the way, folks, though, when it does fall a second year in a row, it tends to fall more than the first year. But still, it's only happened four times. There's your RBI. I hope to see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 